What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. I am your host, as always, Sam Square, and with me is co-host half the time of the Setting the Pace, Pacers Podcast and half the time <laughs> co-host of Circle City Sports Podcast. Uh, birthday, birthday man as of yesterday, well, Sunday night, yesterday as we're recording this. Jake Elroy, Jake, how you doing, man? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. How was your uh, birthday weekend? I saw you got to celebrate some some of it with your family. Oh yeah, of course. I had a great time. I'm I'm to the age to where I stopped getting excited about birthdays, but other than that, it was a great weekend, an excuse to go out to eat and spend time with the family. So that's always a good time. And then got to cap off a great road trip, watch some Pacers basketball, and get here and talk about it with you tonight. Yeah, and you even texted me during the uh, during your birthday, and you said you probably got the best, well, soon to be the best birthday present of your of your life probably and shams of the athletic reported it i think it was what sun saturday afternoon that the paces are in real talks with bringing back lance stevenson and i know you're a big fan of bringing back lance but me on the other hand i'm i just i don't know how this is all going to work out but it'd be very interesting if lance stevenson were to return of course the returns coming from uh the myriad of injuries that we have of course victor coming back with the um, the knee injury uh doug mcdermott T.J. Warren nursing injuries, and also Michael Brogdon is going to miss extended time with that with the uh, injury in his leg. I don't know where the hell or the, the hip or whatever the hell it's called. Uh, he's going to miss some time. So, uh, do you see Lance coming back? Do you think it's do you think those reports are real? Do you think there's an actual chance he's going to come back? What are you thinking? Well, I mean, if Sam's reported it, then obviously there's legs to it. Um, I'm not surprised, really. I mean, maybe a little bit, but. I mean, you know, I put it in a tweet the other day that I think this move makes sense for the Pacers. I don't think it's a season-changing move or, you know, I don't think he's going to severely alter the outlook for this team. But, you know, he already has a chemistry with Sabonis in that second unit. He's a guy that can help the pacing. Um, you know, we struggle with some rebounding issues with our guards and you have no issues uh, with that, with Lance, anyone that watched him knows he loves to fly in for those rebounds. He loves to get those rebounds. So that's something that he helps with. And, you know, I think one thing with him that goes untalked about is, you know, I think he does provide a real advantage for us at the home court. Like when Lance was here, you know, and he would come in the game and make those spark plays. And I get what people are saying about the neg- negative aspects to his game, which he has plenty. But it's just it feels like when he's in and he's doing the things that he does, that crowd just gets into it. Like, I've never seen Banker's Life get into a player before. And it just provides the team with such a spark and energy. And that's really why I want him back. I mean, like I said, I, I know that he's, you know, a net negative player. I know he makes boneheaded mistakes. I know that he's not a great shooter. But, he, you know, I mean, there's been plenty of times at the end of quarters or in clutch situations, he'll hit a three or he'll hit a big shot or make a big play. And I just think that he's really a great spark for this team. And it just seems like Indiana brings out the best in him. He brings out the best in this in this team. And he loves to be here and he loves to play here. The fans love him. And, and again, I don't think he's, you know, it's not acquiring an all-NBA player, but I just think he's a guy that with the with the kind of chemistry he has with some of our players with the with the connection he has to the fans with playoffs coming up you want that atmosphere you want that energy and Lance Stevenson provides that for all of the negative things that come along with him he's a guy that can provide that and I've just had a big
big issue at times with our pacing. I know TJ McConnell's been that guy, but you know, his plays slipped here and there a little bit lately. He's not this, you know, instant spark off the bench. Like he, he was at the beginning of the season. You've seen cracks in his game. And I just think having another guy be able to, to throw that in. I know a lot of people talk about the, the, the uh, spacing with him and McConnell and, you know, who's going to handle the ball. But I mean, you can honestly put Lance in with the starters at time and help that unit, you know, because I think that unit is the unit that has issues with pushing the ball. And if you can inject him into that lineup at times during times where you're not getting the ball moving, I think that that could be a, a positive for that side, for that unit also. Yeah, I just, I, one, I don't know how he's going to fit in this rotation because Nate has, has made it pretty clear that he wants to keep that bench unit intact with McConnell, Aaron Holiday at, at times. Now it's mostly Sumner with the Brogdon injury, but also keeping Justin Holiday, Sabonis, and Don McDermott together. I just don't know how you would configure the rotations. Pacers also would have to cut someone, which was, I mean, that, that, that's not big. That's not big news as is, but they would have to cut someone, of course. I just, I don't. I don't know. I just. I don't know how the rotations would look. Like you said, I don't like the the spacing unit with McConnell and Lance Stevenson. They're not great shooters. Last in a in a sorry in Lance's last season with Pacers only shot forty three percent. I mean it's not terrific, but like you said, we're not really getting him for his shooting. Maybe, and I hate to say this, the only way you can get him in the lineup is give him those Jakar minutes where it's just the four or five minutes at the end of the first quarter or four or five minutes at the end of the third quarter where it's just like, hey, we need all the energy you can give us for these four minutes on the defensive side. We need you to give them those hustle plays. And maybe, maybe you take some of Aaron or TJ McConnell's minutes as the backup point guard. Maybe Lance runs the point guard uh, for a starting unit. Maybe you do it as a committee as the bench unit. That could possibly be a solution. I just, I don't know how this fit would look on his team because I think this team is a lot more deeper than the teams that he's played for in the last couple of years when he's coming off the bench or when he's starting. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, he's it, it and I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be asked to come in and log 20, 25 minutes a game. And one thing and I I'd like to say real fast is yeah, playing in China, but they've had a little bit of time off because of the, the um, what's going on there with the coronavirus, but what is he like basketball wise? Is he still in shape and all that? Has he been playing? And that's just something I would also see if that'd be also something I'd be interested to see. Yeah. I mean that that's all, that's all stuff they'll get hashed out with if they have him come in for a workout. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure they've been watching him and monitoring the situation with him. You know, I mean, in today's social media players can send over workout videos in an instant, you know, and all those things. So, I mean, that's something that'll get worked out. And if he gets signed, obviously that's something that they feel confident with. But I just think, I just think ultimately he's just a guy that, that, like you said, could cut into TJ McConnell's minutes. I think that, you know, I love TJ and I love what he brings. I just think that when you stretch his minutes to 20 a game or 25 a game, I think the fatigue sets in. I think he starts to make bad decisions with the basketball at times. I just don't think he's as reliable as he was early on in the season. And really his play is the biggest reason why I'm on board with bringing Lance on because 
sometimes TJ McConnell has a bad habit of coming in and dribbling the ball into oblivion. Like he'll just dribble it downhill and get trapped multiple, multiple times. You know, he can over over dribble and the spacing with him and Sabonis already isn't ideal, but at least Lance will stretch the floor some, you know, I mean, he's not scared to shoot the three. He's not scared to shoot, you know, long mid range jumpers, which Nate McMillan loves. He's not afraid to do those things. McConnell's really a guy that plays around the basket. So at least with Lance, if you could split him and McConnell up, Lance number one would provide more defensive flexibility I think he's he's a much more active and engaged defender being a bigger guy than TJ and also number two I just think he can play with pace better because he's a guy that's willing to shoot from all over the floor and like you said it's not a high volume but it at least at least provides that threat whereas TJ if he's not shooting within 10 feet of the basket he's probably not putting up that shot so I just think it would provide uh, the Pacers another option to kind of split up with TJ because I ultimately think that would be who Lance should cut into. You don't want to cut into anything to do with Justin Holiday or Doug McDermott. Those guys are perfect where they're at. Um, you know, I think Jakar should keep his minutes. I just think that TJ McConnell's best probably paying like 10 to 15 minutes a game and then give Lance whatever other minutes you're not going to give him. But I just think more than anything, it's just bringing in a guy that's comfortable in this team, comfortable within this city and comfortable with some of his teammates that could provide you a spark down the stretch. So it's not, again, it's not that I think that this guy is going to come in and light the world on fire. Like he did a couple years ago, the last year, Paul George was here where we snuck into the playoffs when he came in. He's not going to have that type of impact. I don't think just because like you said, the team is much deeper, but at least he would come in a guy that that the coaching staff and his teammates have confidence in and that the fans love and so the kind of the reason why the Pacers are looking at getting Lance Stevenson or resigning him is because of the Malcolm Brogdon injury uh, it's located in the hip area uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the injury is I'm not a doctor or anything like that but Brogdon is they said he's diagnosed week to week so I'm gonna guess that's a couple weeks now so um Jake, I know you're you're very much interested in looking to see what the Aaron Holiday and Victor Oladipo starting backcourt uh, is going to look like over the next few weeks as we've got some pretty pretty big games coming up. Yeah, as it, as it refers to Brogdon, any injury that has rectal or rectum in it, that's kind of something that makes me cringe, so I was scared for him. But luckily, it's only going to be a couple-week injury, hopefully. Um, you know, you never really know. I mean, this is kind of an odd injury. It just seems like the basketball gods are making up injuries at this point to keep this team from being healthy. But, you know, I mean, he's, he's going to be gone for a couple weeks and this may not be the last time. I mean, we have to be honest about it. He's struggled with injuries this year, struggled with injuries in his career. And I think, you know, if if we're going to get where we want to go. I think you're going to have to see meaningful minutes out of Aaron Holiday and Victor Oladipo in that backcourt. And and I liked what I saw, the early returns in Dallas. I thought they looked good together on paper it works because you have Victor as a primary ball handler you have uh you have Aaron Holiday as kind of the off-ball guard and I think both of those guys are comfortable in those roles and I thought against Dallas it looked pretty good I, I thought both guys played well and I think that that I'm very interested to see like you said for, for the next couple weeks are these guys going to be able to gel can Aaron Holiday kind of you know thin out those those peaks and valleys he has really high moments really low moments can he kind of shell, level that out a little bit because he you know I mean and the thing for him is this is is a crossroads for him in his career. I mean, he's coming up towards the end of his rookie contract. We're coming up to the playoffs where the rotations are shortened. He's really fighting for his rotational life and for his life within this franchise. And I think that it's important for this team to be able to have a valuable insurance 
uh, policy for Malcolm Brogdon. And I think Aaron Holiday really has a great opportunity to prove that he's the sixth man of the future for this team. Um, you know, be, be, because I think at worst he'd be a high quality sixth man in this league. And I really hope he makes it with the Pacers because I'm really high on him. But as far, as far as just right now, I think that it's going to be important for this team in terms of fighting for seeding and going into the playoffs with positive momentum for him and Victor to play well. And I just think that's kind of the reason why they didn't trade Aaron Holiday at the trade deadline or during the offseason because the Malcolm Brogdon injuries and, two because he's a, just a really good ball player. And, I mean, like I told you off air a little bit ago before we got on was, I mean, I think Aaron Holiday could really end up being that sixth man for the Pacers over the next two or three years, like a lot like what the Raptors had with uh, Fred Van Fleet last year where he could come in, you know, give you a spot, starts every once in a while, come in off the bench and give you a solid 15 points, some good perimeter shooting. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, they've got some pretty good matchups. We've got Boston and Philly coming up uh, over the next week. Those are the two games that we're going to preview uh, later on. But first, we've got to go back to that five-game road trip. Uh, when we were last on, we talked to you guys about that five-game road trip, kind of previewed it. Um, we said 3-2 and two was probably what the Pacers – we're probably going to go, and Jake, they blew us out of the water, went 4-1, and one, and really the, the one game they lost was against probably the best team in the Eastern Conference uh, in Milwaukee, and I I hate to look at it like this, but I think that 4-1 and one stretch, it's really going to help the Pacers. I, I If we're going to chase that 4 and even possibly that 3 seed, I know that 3 seed's kind of far out, but it's not too far. It's still within striking distance. If we were to ever to get that four to three seed, I think we're going to look back at that five-game road trip that we just had, and it's going to be a big difference because especially if you look at Philly, Boston, and Miami teams that are kind of with their with them, with the Pacers right now, they kind of struggle on the road. But the Pacers, you look at them, they're 18 and 15 out on the road this year. And for them to go 4-1 and one on that trip, which was you know weird, they went, they went east, south, midwest, stayed in the midwest, and then went south again. To, and to play some fairly good teams like the San Antonio Spurs, Milwaukee Bucks, and the Dallas Mavericks, to go 4-1 in that stretch was pretty big. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's put us in a position to have an above 500 road record, which is huge. I think that, you know, like you, I'm surprised that we were able to pull out a 4-1 and one stretch considering the way we were playing. We've only had Victor and Malcolm for like four out of our last 10 games or so. And, you know, the team really is stuck together and they've played really well. I feel like Miles Turner is just playing probably his most consistent and highest level of basketball I've seen from him in a Pacers uniform. And it's a real credit to him and his resolve, because, I mean, I mean, we were sitting here a couple months ago on this podcast talking about, you know, if he was going to push his way out of town. And now he's, you know, a guy that we're talking about as an X factor on this team. And I think it's a real credit to him and his teammates for lifting him up, the coaching staff, you know, putting him in position to be more active defensively. Um, you know, I think he was really the X factor on this trip. I, I think that the team as a whole just really came in, played well together. You got key minutes from guys like Edmund Sumner. Justin Holiday has been the unsung hero of this team all year. You know, Sabonis doing what he does every night. TJ Warren just being that scoring punch. And, you know, I mean, me and you both are not super high on this coaching staff, but I, I think they deserve a lot of credit for really keeping this team together all year. I mean, we're I mean, we're in a position to win 50, 50 ball games this year, and I, I just don't think anybody realistically could have thought 
that with Victor missing half the season and now Malcolm's going to be missing at least 20 games this year, I just don't think anybody could have realistically thought that we would be a 50-win team. And we're knocking on that door. We got to finish our business. But to go 4-1 and one on this road stretch, like you said, San Antonio's no joke. I mean, and they did a great job shutting down Sabonis and really throwing off our offensive rhythm. And him and Miles down the stretch were really key in that game. You know, the Milwaukee game, that was the only game we lost. And honestly, I was impressed by the way we played. I mean, you know, we got blown out at the end. But I thought they really hung in there with them for a while. If Brogdon would have stayed in that second half, who knows? I mean, I don't think we beat Milwaukee, but who knows? Maybe we keep that within 10 points. Well, and it changed the tide because that's what I was just talking about. TJ McConnell's minutes, he was gassed. And and his minutes in the first half really helped spark that run that we went on. That second unit, as they've done all year, has really given us an offensive spark. And with him having essentially played the entire second half, that, that just gassed him out and, and really wore down his effectiveness. So, you know, the team kind of slipped back. You know, and that was really a result of that blowout. But, you know, I, honestly, the only game we lost, I was very impressed with. And then the other games, like you said, we obviously won. The Dallas game was the get was the was the series changer. And, you know, to go in there and beat them. That was an extremely impressive win. We survived another uh, we survived another role player onslaught with with Hardaway's 30. Um, you know, we actually I mean, Donkett scored 36, but I thought we did a fairly good. It was a pretty tough 36, if mm-hmm. we're being honest. I think he shot like four out of 10 from three and shot under 50% from the field. So, I mean, you know, you hold a guy to 13 of 26 and, you know, hold him to under. And he really 50%. didn't go on that stretch of like 12 straight points. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. just consistent points. It wasn't a big jump. And really you talk about the Dallas game. I think that San Antonio game was the big difference in the, in the yeah. road trip. Cause you could have, you could have very easily went one on one on that trip. If you would have lost to San Antonio, I think that that game was pretty close all the way throughout. And then, of course, Sabonis wasn't playing well. Um, really, the whole team just wasn't on their A game. I think it was probably like a C-level performance. But you were able to get gut out that win. Miles Turner had a key block at the end of that game. And I think that really turned the tide for that for that road trip. Because you, you go 2-0, you go to Milwaukee, you play them tough, and then you go into Chicago very shorthanded, you win that game. And then you go into Dallas and you beat a team who's been fairly good this year is going to be in the playoffs. But like you said, Miles Turner... Very key. He was, and I'll even go back to the Portland game before we went on this road trip. Him hitting that three against Portland to seal the game. Then he hits another three against Cleveland to seal that game. Has a key block against San Antonio to win that game. Has a pretty big game against Chicago. And then he locks up Kristaps Porzingis uh, against Dallas. Miles Turner's probably had the best week, two weeks of his season right now. And I, I'm, I'd be very interested to see how he's going to continue that as we play uh, Boston and Philly coming up. Yeah. And I mean, he just keeps stringing these games together and, you know, I mean, I know with me and you, at least the thing with miles is, can he consistently do it? I mean, it's like with Sabonis this year, every game, if Sabonis doesn't put up 15, 17 and 10, you know, I mean, if he doesn't put up 15 to 17 points and at least 10 rebounds, we're disappointed because that's what he does each and every night. He does it each and every night. TJ Warren comes in and you can almost guarantee 17, 18 points per game on 50 plus percent every single night. That's what leaders do. And the, that's my issue with Miles. It's not that I don't think he's a special player. It's not that I don't think he has the ability to be an X factor on this team, because honestly, when Miles is engaged on both ends, he's the guy that takes us over the top. As excited as I am for the season Sabonis and Warren are having, Miles Turner is the guy that on both ends can take this team to another level. It's just when he's not engaged, 
you don't know what miles you're going to get from night to night, from week to week. You'll have stretches where he's playing well, and then he'll have stretches where he kind of just reverts into this real passive role. And I know a lot of people like to put that on the coaches, but it's not. That's on Miles Turner. And I just think Miles Turner has really, I think, embraced his role on this team finally at this juncture. I think he's just realizing that, listen, I may not be getting the offensive numbers that I want. And people have alluded to it that I, I've listened to a lot that he expected to be the all-star. He expected to be the guy to be breaking Pacers records like Sabonis is doing. And I think initially that mentally got to him. And I think it really put him in a bad mental place. And I think really at this juncture, he's just really embraced the fact that you know, hey, I'm on a winning team. We're doing really well. And if I do really well in my role, then the team's going to succeed. And I think you're really seeing that translate into him. And I think one part of this, the coaching does deserve credit, is I think they're engaging him more defensively with putting him on multiple different players at multiple different positions. They're not just camping him out around. I mean, it's like what they did with him on Drummond. That was just that was just criminal for them to do that to him. You know he's not good on Andre Drummond. And then finally they took him off and put some bonus on him and it allowed Miles to be able to go and do other things. And I think that around that stretch, they've done a really good job. They matched him up with Porzingis, who was a much better matchup for him, you know, than some of the other players on Dallas. You know, they had him on Luca a couple times. I saw that. You know, I just noticed that recently they've done a much better job of utilizing him and making him much more impactful on the defensive side of the basketball. And it's he's really taken that step like he was last year because I honestly thought before the last like, you know, maybe three or four weeks that his his defense and this defense as a whole had taken a step back. And and now you're seeing that that he's kind of retaking that step back forward to being a truly impactful defensive player. He's really playing like an all deep NBA defensive player right now. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're moving him around, not just asking him to stand around and all those things. And it's translating his, his game is based off defense. And when his defense is performing, his offense comes and now he's taking advantage of those offensive opportunities. And it's really translated to, like we said, maybe the best stretch of his career. I mean, I've watched him for five years and I just don't remember a time where he has consistently strung together performances like this and I think really it's the one of the biggest reasons why this team has gone on this eight and two stretch over the last 10 games and one thing with Miles is someone when I first started getting into writing and podcasting was the the guy I was talking to and he was kind of mentoring me a little bit I asked him or I asked him like when did how did you find out your specific thing how did you find out you were good at and he said just find your niche find what you're good at and maybe Miles and really even the coaching staff along with him, maybe they have finally found what Miles is good at, where he's good at in spots. Because there's even been some times, even in that Dallas game uh, just last night, where he got a couple post-ups. But uh, like I said, Portland, Cleveland, San Antonio, it was all – Portland and Cleveland were three-point shots. But that San Antonio game, he had, big, he had a big block. Dallas game late in, late in the fourth quarter, I think it was against Kristaps, he had a big block. He has really made a difference in probably his two best attributes, shooting and three-point three shooting and defense slash rim protection. And I think if we can get this miles for the last month and a half, full month of the season, I think that's really going to push us forward uh, to, get a, to get a higher seed uh, east, in the Eastern Conference. Of course, another way to get up higher in the Eastern Conference is probably going 2-0 this week. Uh, the Pacers only two games this only two games this week uh, coming up. Uh, they've got a long they've got a couple breaks which are pretty interesting. But um, Tuesday night, tomorrow night, or tonight actually, as we record this on Monday night, 
uh, Tuesday night they play Boston at home, and then Saturday night they go to Philly uh, to play the 76ers. And, Jacob, we're looking at these two games, looking at Boston first. That's a pretty big game. Boston right now, as we're recording this, is only two and a half games up on the Pacers right now, or three and a half games up on the Pacers for third in the Eastern Conference. And if the Pacers are able to win this game, uh, they'll win the series at 2-0, and as they only played three times. But that'll give you a, bit, a lot of confidence um, going into that Philly game. Uh, also with the Boston Celtics, Jalen Brown is not playing, so that could be a big difference. But unlike the first matchup, they will have Marcus Smart back in the lineup. So uh, that could very much change the game as much. But uh, I'll be very interested to see how we play against Boston because it's been a very long time since we played uh, since we played them. Yeah, and, and it could be possible, depending on how the seedings come up, this could be the first-round playoff preview. Um, you know, I mean, obviously we're fifth right now, and I think that we're projecting upwards. I think three is a realistic goal, but, you know, this could be a playoff matchup for us in the first round if we slip to six and they stay at three. Um, you know, and I think this is a critical game for the Pacers to kind of give themselves a sense of where they're at. You have three days after this to rest before you go in and uh, play a very banged-up Philly team. Uh, I think the Pacers really need to leave this on the floor, and and I don't usually take too much stock into any single uh, game in the regular season. But I, you know, this one to me feels a little different. You know, you win this one, you're two and a half games back with a game still to play against them, and you're right there. I mean, for the three seed, you're right there with them. And if you lose this game, it really just destroys any chance you have of, of gaining that three seed. So, you know, I mean, this is a critical game, more critical than I think most regular season games. And I think that it's really going to be important to see how do the Pacers fare against a very, very tough defensive team, because we've seen all year. That's been the Pacers kryptonite is, is physical teams that press the ball, that have athleticism, that have length. And, you know, with, with the, with this myriad of scores that Boston has, it's going to be interested to see how we respond to a team like this, because, you know, they're going to be playing playoff basketball. I, it, it's like when we played Toronto a couple weeks back and they beat us with a franchise, one of the franchise's biggest defeats in history, they were playing playoff basketball and we were playing like it was an exhibition game. We can't do that again. We have to come into this game, realizing that we're fighting for seating, realize that we're fighting to get into playoff mode and realizing that we're fighting to show ourselves that we belong. We don't really have much to prove to others, but I think in this locker room, that with with guys like Thaddeus Young and Darren Collison being gone, you know, there's a lot of young guys that need to prove they belong here. You know, Sabonis and Warren, we've, we've lauded the seasons that they've had, but it's time for those guys to show that they can step up on big stages in big games. And this is, I, I think, our biggest singular game of the regular season at this point. And you have to show that you can do it. You know, we talked about Miles' this stretch. Can he continue to do it? You know, can he can he take advantage of some of these smaller guys and keep making those big impact plays? You know, Victor Oladipo's been playing well better. We're gonna need him. I, I'm just really I'm just really circling this game right now. I'm extremely excited to see how we play tomorrow night because I think it's just a bigger regular season game than most at this time of year. And then looking at that Philly game, I think that's if we're to win one or two, I think we'd have. I would probably say that at least we'd have to win that Philly game because, yeah, while it's on the road, uh, the first time we played them in Philly, it, it was just an epic meltdown how we lost them. We were up, I want to say, a couple points in the final minute or so and then had two turnovers that lost us the game. Philly is incredible at home, of course, and they're incredibly bad on the road. They're 28-2 and at home and 10-24 and on the road. And like you said, possible playoff matchups, this could be the – this could this could be the four five maybe the 
3-6 matchup, possibly, in the Eastern Conference first round. So the Pacers are really going to have to win this game. If they win, they win the series 3-1. So they'll get the advantage, they'll get the uh, tiebreaker advantage. Uh, but if the Pacers, if especially if you go into Philly and win a game against the Philadelphia 76ers, and we don't know right now who's going to play. Simmons and Embiid have kind of been in and out of the lineup recently. But if you're able to beat Philly in Philly like only two teams have, I think I don't even know who the two teams are. I know Miami's one of them. But if you're able to go in there and beat Philly and win that series, that's gonna be a big that's gonna be a big confidence booster, and I think that will really help us set up uh, as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. Yeah, and I know their playoff their home record is is extremely impressive, but we played them really tough the last time we were in that building. So I have confidence that we're going to go in there and, and give them a hell of a game. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to win. Like you said, they're incredible at home. And, you know, if Embiid and Simmons are in the lineup, that that changes a lot for them. But regardless, they, they have both of them in in the last game. And I think the Pacers did a really good job of, of staying competitive and honestly should have won that game. Like you said, you know, just a couple of terrible turnovers. But I think the Pacers are playing as well as they have all season during this stretch. And I think they're going to get the best version of us. So I would like I would to say see probably they're, the Pacers are probably playing as good as probably any Eastern conference team right now. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really seeing it come together for them, even with Victor and Malcolm being in and out of the lineup. I mean, it's just the key guys that are there for us. And you know, that's why Malcolm, that's why miles is, play has been so big lately because those two guys have been in and out of the lineups but you know the guys that have been in the lineup all year Warren's playing great Sabonis Turner those guys are all playing great you know Aaron Holiday's giving you uh solid minutes as a starter you know Justin Holiday's doing what he's done all season you know the Pacers are playing as collected and as good as I think they've played all year at least since they were 31 and 17 at the beginning I think with Malcolm healthy and at his peak I think that this team's better than when they're than where than where they're at right now. But I think collectively, I think they're playing as well as they have all season. So, like you said, this is really the two game stretch where they can put their money where their mouth is and and really put ourselves back. And because I think for me as a fan, and I don't know how many other people feel this way, but you know, I'm still just not sold on this team right now. I, I'm excited about potentially winning 50 games. I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the way a lot of these guys are playing, but I'm just still not confident in a seven game series against any of these teams. But if you can string together wins against Dallas, wins against Boston, wins against Philly. It's almost like, okay, you have to start taking this team seriously now. And I think that would do a huge, a huge boost to their confidence going forward. Again, this is still a very young roster. And even the guys that aren't necessarily young just aren't used to being in this spot. I mean, TJ Warren, this is his first meaningful basketball in March in his career. So, and he's our team's leading scorer. You know, Victor's just coming back from an injury. They're all still trying to gel together. Sabonis, first year as a starter. So this is a team that, like I said, I think they need these confidence boosts. This isn't the same sort of, you know, veteran presence. Like, I mean, we've had Roy Hibbert, David West, uh, Thaddeus Young, Darren Collison, George Hill. All those guys that have really anchored these teams in the past are gone. So I think that these teams need these kind of momentum wins to really give them the confidence that they can hang with these teams and play meaningful basketball without getting blown off the floor by 40 in Toronto. Because, you know, I mean, we joke that, you know, oh, it's just kind of coach talk that this had to be a wake-up call, but they've really played differently since that game. And I hope that it translates into games against high-quality teams in the East because, to me, that's really the last box they have to check mark for me to at least have have a semi amount of confidence that they can win a seven game series against these teams what do you i'll ask you this because i it's kind of got it's still kind of hitting me what 
what are you still worried about with this team? Because I know, I don't know if it's with a lot of Pacers fans, but I'm still worried about that six six losses out of seven games right before the All-Star break. I know that's kind of still sitting with me a little bit, even though we're eight, eight, eight and two out of our last ten. I know, but that six out of seven game stretch where we just played god-awful, really, and lost a lot of close games, uh, that still has me a little bit worried for going into April and May, or April and May, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you talk about this team's ability to go on those types of stretches is concerning. You know, generally teams that are, you know, top half teams don't go through those kinds of stretches. I mean, you hear people point out, well, Miami lost with to Washington. And, you know, yeah, teams have bad losses, but to lose six out of seven, that's 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 a stretch. I mean, that's, and a lot that's of them are at home. Stretch. Most yeah. of them are at home. Yeah, I mean, that that's quite a stretch to have, you know, for a top tier team. But, you know, for me, the. There's quite a few, actually. I mean, number one, some fundamentals like rebounding. I think this team is just an underwhelming rebounding team. Although, with Miles Turner playing much better on the boards this season, I promise I'll bring that up on the pod. It was a good time. With Miles Mm -hmm. Turner playing better on the glass this year, I think that, or well, especially recently, you just see him really fighting for those rebounds over this last stretch. I think that really changes the outlook of this team's rebounding. So I'm getting a little bit higher on their rebounding than I was before. We're not getting pummeled on the glass when Sabonis isn't in anymore. Um, I, I'm really impressed with Miles' physicality down there fighting for those boards. Um, so rebounding is one in the postseason. I just think if we're, we're fielding big lineups, you have to be able to rebound. I'm worried about how we're going to play against teams that have athleticism and length that can play those passing lanes because we just play so methodical. I just think teams that are really athletic and quick just just cut our passing lanes so easily. Our offense just isn't very innovative, so teams are easily dissecting it and just playing it so easily. And then also, too, we don't have a dynamic number one scorer. I mean, you know, TJ Warren is our guy right now. It's just... We don't have, if you look at up and down the, the the teams, you don't have a Giannis on this team. You don't have a Siakam on this team. You don't have, you know, Jimmy Butler hasn't really been as good this season on that end, but you don't have a Jimmy Butler on this team or a Joel Embiid. You don't have that 25 points per game score that can really just carry a team through a series. And I, I, I know that's not what the Pacers' identity is. I think they're probably, you know, the most balanced team in this conference when they're all clicking. I mean, one through seven, the Pacers are, you know, there's not a weak player in that in that stretch right there. And I, I don't think really many teams can say that in this league. But, you know, at some point, you have to have a guy that can take over and finish. And, you know, as good as Warren has been, and I think that also, too, some of that is he hasn't gotten the shots that he should be getting. We've, we've talked about that on this pod a lot. But I just also, too, have seen him in the clutch. And it's just, it's been really mixed results. I just don't know, you know, when teams really lock down and engage on him, which they haven't done and he's benefited from that. I just don't know if he's a guy that down the stretch, five minutes to go, you're down by two or up by two. And you need a guy to just really close this thing out for you. Go on an eight, nothing run by himself. We see it with all the teams that are competing for titles. They have that guy. I don't know if we have that guy, and that's really what I think is handicapping the ceiling on top of all that other stuff, and I'm just really kind of hoping Victor can find his way back into that. I don't want him to see see him jacking up 19 shots per game like he was against Dallas because I don't think that's a recipe for success for us right now, but I really want to see him be able to to take that step to get back to being that guy that over the last five minutes, we can really lean on him to carry us to wins because that's something that is really concerning to me. And I just, I just don't know if we can beat those other teams without having a guy like that on this roster. So looking at the two games that we have this week, Boston and Philly, 
probably the I'd probably say the second toughest two game stretch we're gonna have the rest of the year. Of course we've got Miami and Boston coming up real soon. What do you what do you think the Pacers go? I, I really think they split. I think they're gonna win the home game against Boston on Tuesday night and they'll probably drop the game in Philly because really I just think Philly is just so much better at home than they are on the road. But I think I, I really do think if the Pacers are able to win this game against Boston, that at least will help them out in their chances to uh, when the when they're uh, when that head to head matchup. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I think they split it. Um, you know, I mean, it's just odd to see what what Philly is going to field out there. You know, with who's healthy. I mean, that's that's obviously a huge difference maker. If neither Embiid or Simmons play, obviously that that really helps the Pacers a lot. But you know, even still, they they just have a very um, a very deep team, kind of like the Pacers. They have a deep team, and, and honestly, at times they play better without one or the other of Embiid or Simmons. So if one plays and the other doesn't, you know, one of them's likely to go off, you know, but I, I don't know. It's just, like you said, they're 28, what are 28 and two at home. So that that's a really, really good home record. And I just don't know if the Pacers are, you know, really ready for that moment yet. But again, if, I mean, if they're able to win these two games, I just think that really, really for me puts them in that conversation of, okay, this team is ready to compete in a seven game series. So I'm just, I'm just excited to see how these, how they perform these two games because they've been playing excellent basketball over the last 10 games, shorthanded rotations, changing lineups, changing, and they've just really stuck with it. So, you know, if there's a time for us to have this kind of stretch, I think it's right now. I think all the right guys are stepping up. I think the coaches are pressing the right buttons and hopefully it leads to a successful two game stretch. Cause I mean, this is critical. I mean, a chance for you to close in on Boston and put distance against Philadelphia. I think it, it is critical that they win both of these games. Yep. So we got very, two very important games coming up for the end Pacers against Boston on Tuesday night. And then at Philly on Saturday night. Surprisingly, that's, that Philly game on Saturday night is not a primetime game. Shock, the Pacers don't get a primetime game. It seems like they hardly ever get one. But um, nevertheless, Pacers, two important games coming up. Um, we'll, we'll recap those games for you guys probably next week because uh, the Pacers will have four home games in a row after, the, after they go to Philly. So make sure you stay tuned for that. We appreciate you guys coming on and listening to the show. We hope you guys have a good rest of the day.